0: And uh, good morning, everybody. Would you just remain standing for just a moment and we're gonna give attention to our passage as we continue our series, Experiencing God. Just to say, a little bit different lighting today because of the storm this past week that knocked out all of our ability to communicate with all the lights up here. So our team worked super hard all day yesterday, had it all fixed, and then it didn't work this morning. So um, that's how it goes, but we're here and we're excited. And we're gonna continue in our series by looking at the first reality of experiencing God, which is that he is always at work around us. And the passage that we're gonna give attention to for this reality is found in the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter six, verses 30 through 44. Mark six, verses 30 through 44. This is God's word to you today. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and they told him all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what they asked? we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? Jesus asked. Go find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the loaves and the two fish Looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. So, last week we began our journey entitled Experiencing God, and I do want to give attribution again to a man named Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby, years ago, wrote a book and a workbook entitled Experiencing God, and he introduced these seven spiritual realities of how to know more of God and experience His will. So we're going to be building off of that. And I do want to encourage you, if you don't have the book or the workbook Experiencing God, I think it's like $11 on Amazon or wherever you wanna get it. Um, I would just encourage all of you who are Jesus followers or interested in Jesus to have this work on your bookshelf. This is a, a work that everyone should have and, and journey with, whether individually or with your family, or maybe you would do it in a group of people that you're spiritually journeying with right now and maybe this series would be an encouragement to do so last week we started with a foundational verse for our series from john the 17th chapter verse 3 and in john 17 3 jesus is praying for you and it's known as the high priestly prayer uh, i don't know if you realized it or not but jesus actually prayed for you if you're a follower of jesus for all of us And he prayed many things, but in the context of that prayer, there's this one line as he's praying to the Father, John 17 verse three, Jesus says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God. And as we started our series last week, we said this is a foundational understanding for us to experience God in the life that he has for us, that in order to be able to experience more of God, We have to know him. We have to journey with him. And we said, this isn't know in the Western understanding of know as in information or data points. Of course, we're going to learn more about God in the series and as we study the scriptures. But this means something very different that Jesus prayed. Know here would be translated to experience or to relate to or to journey with. So to translate it accurately, what Jesus is saying and praying for each of us, is that the way to experience life is to experience more of God, to know him, to relate to him. And this gives us an insight into an understanding of where we begin this whole journey of knowing God's will and doing more of it in our lives. It begins with our relationship, of course, with God. And not just knowing things about God, but knowing God. And there is a huge difference, guys, of knowing things about God and actually knowing God, experiencing Him in your life, especially in the valleys and the difficulties of your life, which I know many of you are in right now. And we looked last week as we began our series at Jeremiah chapter 29, and just to again, lay the foundation for our teaching together today, Jeremiah as a prophet is speaking to the people of God, a people just like us, who are living in a place that's not their home, just like us. And he's reminding them of spiritual realities and truths to live by, specifically how to know and do God's will. And the sequencing of the teaching that Jeremiah gives is so very important. And I just want to remind us of it again. As we come to the question, which many of us wrestle with in our lives, very acutely some of us today, God, what is your will for my life? Where do I even begin Listen to the teaching of Jeremiah 29. Go back and read it for yourself this week. And the sequence of the teaching, he begins by reminding the people on behalf of God, Jeremiah does, that God's will for your life is always gonna begin with God's purposes for all of life. So in in starting with God, what is your will for my life? We have to start with God, what is your will? What do I know about all of life and what you wanna do with all of humanity God wants to nest, if you will, his will for your life in his will for all of life. And I, I want to be clear on this for all of us. We'll never know fully God's will for our lives unless we know God's will for all of life. You cannot live fully in the will of God for your life if you don't understand God's will for all of life. And so Jeremiah specifically begins by reminding them, you're there in Babylon, in exile, in this place for a reason. And you need to put down roots and you need to share your story and you need to sing songs by the river and do all the things that they were instructed to do to help the people of Babylon to know the one true God. So we begin our journey of experiencing God and specifically knowing and doing more of his will in our lives by looking at his will for all of life, for all of humanity, for the people sitting around you right now, for those of you watching online, for looking at all the people that you're journeying with in life, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, God, what is your will for their life? What is your will for all of life? And by the way, spoiler alert from start to finish. God's will for all of life, for all of humanity, is for people to know him, to experience him, John 17, 3, and to bring glory to him. That's his will. That's his ultimate purpose. And then we get to the second part of the sequence in Jeremiah 29, his promises or his plans for his people, meaning that God does have a plan, that God does have a Jeremiah 29, 11, a future and a hope, good plans for you that we just sang about together. Yes, God does have plans, but they're always connected to the larger community. Many of you have, if you have your Bibles open, Jeremiah 29, 11, start, or you've seen that verse somewhere, it's a wonderful verse. But if we just pull that verse, which is always difficult, if we pull one verse out of context, then we can misunderstand it. If we pull that one verse out and we don't see what God's doing for all the community and all of people, and we just think, well, God knows the plans that He has for me individually, then we miss it. And by the way, the Hebrew word there, I know the plans I have for you, if you have that open, Jeremiah 29 11, is plural. Meaning, He's writing to the whole community, He's not just writing to one individual reader and remembering that we journey together as a people of God. Listen, the church is not about a name or a building. The church is the people of God on a journey with God. Christianity is not a series or a set of understandings or dogma or or teachings to just understand. Christianity is a person to follow. It's walking with God. And it's doing it as a community together. So God has plans for his people that include a future and a hope. And Jesus alludes to this in John 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And in the end of the Bible, a new city coming down from heaven, a city that's been prepared for God's people to dwell in and live in forever. Yes, we have a future and we have a hope and God has plans. But it's in the context of his plans for all of his people all of the people that call on the one true God. It's not an individualized endeavor. And here's the third thing, that yes, of course, in the scriptures and all throughout the course of Jesus' teaching, he's reminding us of God's great promises for us, that God does have promises for you, that he does have promises that he's made to you, ultimately through Jesus, that we should pray for ourselves, that we should claim for ourselves, for our children, for the people around us. But when we begin, everyone just watch this, when you begin praying, God, what are your promises for me? What's your will for me? And then I try to work my way upward. It doesn't work that way. If, in other words, if I'm just trying to understand God's will for my life, which I've done, please learn from me. So many times in my journey with Jesus, just individualizing all of this and making it a, a spiritual drive through, if you will. Meaning, like if you're a visual person, like going through a drive through and pressing a button and saying, God, I'll take these two things off the menu and please have them ready when I pull around. But not seeing what God wants to do in the full story. And so I come to God and I say, God, I just, I want to know your will for my life in this, in this one area, which is significant. But I don't ask for God's will of life in all of these areas. I only want you in this little room of my life. And all these other rooms, I've got a keep out sign posted. And God wants access to all of us. This is why in Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, in the sequence of how Jeremiah writes, he says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart, wholeheartedly, With everything that you have, not withholding any part of your life, but bringing all of you to all of me, then you'll find me. And here's the deal, guys, and we talked about this last week. God wants to be found by you. He's not hiding the football. He, he, He wants to be found by you. And he's told us how to find him. In fact, he came and found us first. But when we try to pursue God's will for our life individually, apart from his will for all of life, it doesn't work that way. And so, God, if you're a visual person, instead of a, a spiritual drive through where I just press the button and say, I'll take these two things right now and I want it to be ready and hot and warm for me in 30 seconds when I pull around, God. And I'll just come through the drive through again, God, when I need something else. I'm invited to a table with God. What does that mean? It means that I'm invited to commune with God, to journey with God, John 17, three, to experience God and out of that I live my life. And and, and what we wanna do here out of that foundation of understanding that God wants me to experience more of his life. He wants to be found in the sequence of his purposes for all, his plans for his people, his promises for you and for your family that out of that there are realities that we can see in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books of the scriptures of God's revelation to us. And the Bible is not the only way that God has made himself known, but is the primary way that God speaks to his people today. All throughout humanity, the course of time, God has spoken through people, he's spoken through miracles and circumstances. He's spoken through his collective people. He's spoken through creation itself. God speaks primarily now through his collected word to us. It's why he gave it to us. And as we look at the scriptures, we can see realities, if you will, of how God has shown up, how he's spoken. And you, you, you guys have heard me say this. I'm sure, you know, you're tired of hearing it, but I'm gonna keep saying it. When you want to know what God is saying you've got to go back to what God has said. When you wanna know what God is doing, you go back to what God has done because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of that. So we can see spiritual realities all throughout the recorded scriptures of how God has chosen to speak and work in people's lives just like us who struggle with things just like us, who want to know God and his will for their lives, just like us. And we can take from from that understanding these consistent realities of how God has shown up and how he's chosen to speak to his people. And so oftentimes in our lives, we get to a crossroads. We wanna know God's will, whether it's the start of a new year or a new relationship or a new job or whatever it might be. And we're genuinely interested, we're spiritually warm to understand what God is doing in our life. But then that, you know, that fades, that interest in God fades. Uh, you know, just like our emotions for other people, they wax and they wane, they come and they go. And we just sort of drift in and out of our interest for God's will in our lives. And, and, and what I want to say, and the reason why I'm saying this and starting this is that, that God is consistently interested in you. And it's always, this may seem weird, but if your interest today is like a 75 in God, you know, it's a new year, it's a new me, I'm starting things, I'm going to try this out, whatever. But but maybe in a month it's 50%. And then maybe it pops back up to 60%. It just kind of comes and goes based on different things in my life. But God is always 100% interested in you. And always busy working around you. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this because it's our, our very first spiritual reality of how God speaks and works and invites us to experience him. And that is that God is always at work around us. God is always at work around us. And because that's true, that God is always at work around us, that we didn't start the work, God did then God is always inviting you to join him in said work. Believing that God is always at work around us, then we believe that God is always inviting each of us to join him in that work that he's doing around us. And dear friends, this is what it means to live in the will of God, to see God's work around us and to join him in that work. Let me say it another way. God calls us to discern, let's use that word, where he's at work and then to respond to that work. And that's what spiritual discernment is, to recognize God and the activity of God and respond to that with our activity, to move towards him in that way. And for some of you, you just need to be reminded today that God is always interested in you and interested in you joining him. I'll I'll share a a very quick story about this in a way that I needed to be reminded that someone was interested. When Jen and I first met, uh, we met in biology class and I was not interested in that at all, in biology, okay? But it was a requirement, We, we met in college and there was this girl that I was very interested in, so I was very interested in biology class. And I had my best attendance in in biology class. It was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class. And I was there every day because I wanted to sit by this girl from South Dakota. I had never met anybody from South Dakota. It was very strange to me to listen to her talk and to hear stories about all kinds of different things. And but I was the truth is that I was an I was an insecure kid. But the the deeper truth, if I'm honest with you, is I was a self-absorbed kid. And, you know, interestingly, pride and insecurity are two sides of the same coin. And I know that sounds strange because you think about somebody that's super prideful and comes into the room and announces that they're there and everything has to revolve around them. And then an insecure person that kind of is a wallflower and, you know, what have you. But what I mean by this, they present in very different ways. And some of them are more palatable than others and the behavior of other people. But this is what I mean by that. The insecure person and the prideful person are both thinking about themselves too much. And more to share on my story, but I was just thinking about myself too much. And even to the point of, I didn't want to ask this girl out because I was so fearful of rejection in my life. And some of you, when it comes to your relationship with God, you're 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 so concerned about being rejected by another person, by being let down by another person because you've been let down so many times in your life. You're you're so concerned about how this might affect your life. And I'm using the word me, me, my a lot because it it just becomes this self-absorption. And instead of looking for this first reality that God's always at work around you and inviting you to join him in that work, my eyes begin to, to keep turning down because I'm wounded or I'm, you know, whatever it might be. And I'm looking at myself and I can't look up and see how God's working around me. And for some folks in the room right now and watching, the truth is that's where you are. And, and, and part of this series and this teaching is about lifting your head up. And whether it's through insecurity or pride, it really is just about self-absorption And the idea is this, that you can't notice this first reality and how God's at work around you until you get your eyes off of yourself. So the way it went for us, and Jen's not here right now, so I can tell the story the way that I want to tell it, because this is a controversy in our house to this day about who asked who out. But we had this big biology test. And Jen said to me, you know, we're both super competitive as you get to know us. And so we would compete and do things in class. But she said, hey, if, if, um, if I beat you on this test, then you're gonna take me to dinner. And I'm, yeah, I'm thinking like, um, this, this is fantastic. Um, I don't care what happens. Um, and my version of this to our kids is your mom asked me out, which she denies, you know, um, don't tell her I said that. She denies this big time, but she was just having fun and being competitive, I think. And I think she realized kind of like oh that may have been a little forward and a little whatever so her way of cleaning that up and leveling the playing field on that was and and if you beat me then I'll I'll take you out to dinner and that and so I couldn't put my hand out fast enough you know to make that deal because I'm thinking no matter what happens we're going to be having dinner together and I won't tell you who beat who on the test But we had dinner together and we've been having dinner together for 27 years now um, since then. But here's, this is why I tell you the story. I'm not sure in my self-focus that I ever would have gotten to the place to ask her to dinner. But I needed to know that there was, even if it was through a funny competitive thing, that there was interest. And I'm telling you that because some of you need to know that God's interested in you. And, and if you take a tiny step towards him or go do something the next right step towards God that he'll meet you there. And the answer is yes. And it's not just my yes. As I look all throughout the scriptures and the stories of the scriptures, it's God meeting people in their small yeses and the ways that they choose to step towards him. And God wants to meet you there. And here's the other thing guys, just from that story, as it pertains to experiencing God in your own spiritual journey is that you are the only one that can keep you from God. Now, I want you to think about that. You are the only one that can keep you from God. That doesn't mean that other people haven't done things to you, haven't impeded your journey, haven't done all kinds, I know in a room like this, all kinds of, of awful stories and trauma that you've been through. And I'm not diminishing any of that and the ways that that can impede our relationship with God. This is what I mean spiritually and principally. Is that if God feels distant from you, or you feel like he's far off, he hasn't moved. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when it comes to pursuing a relationship with God, he's always at work around us, spiritual reality number one. And he's always inviting you to join him and participate in that work. And so if you're not, it's not God that's chosen against you or uh, made himself unfindable or he's not interested in you. If, if you, or you are the only one that can keep you from God. Again, I want you to write down and think about that. M- meaning it's your own choices, whether it's choosing your way or God's way, that's gonna draw you closer to the things of God and the realities of God or further away. And oftentimes the way that each of us, the you in this equation, keep ourselves from God is through our self-focus. And we're so focused on ourselves and however that might present itself that we can't see how God's at work around us. Because if we believe and the scriptures teach us that God's always at work around us and we don't see that, then why is that? Well, oftentimes it's because I'm so focused on myself, even through my own spiritual pursuits. Let me give an example. God, I desperately want to know what your will is for my life. And we talked about last week, those three final words can sometimes fail us in our pursuit of God's will. Because we get so fixated on God, what is your will for my life? That again, back to Jeremiah, I miss what is God's will for all of life? And I make it all about me. And when we, just to jump back to Mark 6 for a couple of minutes as we finish, the reason why I picked this passage for this spiritual reality that God is always at work around us is because the miracle, there's many miracles that Jesus did. This is the only miracle Jesus did that is recorded in all four gospels. And we actually used John's iteration and his perspective of this miracle in our Christmas Eve service, if you remember that. Mark records it here in Mark chapter six. It's an important miracle, obviously. It's included in all four foundational books of the New Testament, the Gospels. And it's important for multiple reasons. But today, for our purposes, it's important for how God is engaging his disciples in the work and inviting them to see what he wants to do and participate. And the word here, if you're taking notes, just very quickly, is noticing, that Jesus all throughout his teachings and his ministry is inviting people to notice a deeper spiritual reality of what's happening around us. To see the story, and to say it another way, to see the story underneath the story. All of you are living a story up here, but underneath the story that other people can see and maybe even you're aware of, there's a deeper story and reality. And Jesus was always calling people to see the deeper reality the deeper kingdom spiritual story that was happening all around them. And many people missed it. And by the way, many people missed it for the same reasons that we missed it. They were fatigued, they were just exhausted all the time. And as Margaret Thatcher said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And so when you're spiritually and emotionally and physically tired, you tend to just draw back and get your head down on yourself, and you don't see how God's at work around you. What was the context of this miracle? The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all they had done, and he said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We're exhausted. We've done all these things, and we're tired. And it's in the context of their fatigue that they miss this other part of the story and what God wants to do and how he wants to show himself to them. And the same's true for us. The, the second way that oftentimes we stop noticing the kingdom, the deeper principles of what's happening around us is our hurry, our pace. And if fatigue makes us cowards, then hurry makes us calloused. Our hearts get really cold and callous to the things of God we hear about the needs of people and the stories around us and they bounce off our heart because we're just so hurried to go to one thing to the next and to read the next story in our newsfeed and we miss the story that God wants us to pay attention to or the story that's being presented to us. And the same thing is happening here. And I would just really quickly, if you're, if you're taking notes, I, I just want you to see this story. You've already heard it. Through the context of noticing And specifically noticing God's work around the disciples and noticing God's work around you and your story. And the first thing that happens here is that Jesus calls them to notice the need. And I want you to just, if you're taking notes, just go read it for yourself this week. Verses 30 through 34. But specifically, the people are hungry. We read here that there's not just 5,000 people. There's probably 15 to 25,000 people. Think about that. It's about the size of the Spectrum Center uptown. And there's 12 disciples and Jesus. And all of them are hungry. And, and the disciples, they think they see the need. And so they come to Jesus and they say, you need to send these people away because it's late in the day and we don't have enough money and they're hungry. And, and Jesus is always calling them, again, to see the deeper need of what they really need to hear what they really need to experience. And here's what I wanna say about this one, noticing the need around you, is that if you wanna know God's will, like for real, if you want to know God's will and how he's working around you, specifically in this first reality that he is always at work and he's inviting you to join him in that work, which is his will. If you wanna know that, it's always going to start with people. And that may be like a huge letdown for you today, That God's will for your life is always going to be connected to his will for other people in their lives and how he wants to use you in other people's lives. If you wanna know God's will and you really wanna love God, you've got to love what God loves most. And what does God love most? People. God loves people most. And guess what comes with people? In this story, mess, chaos, confusion, frustration, all the things that you experience in all of your family relationships and your friendships and some of your co-working relationships and on and on because people, and by the way, maybe we have some of these too, have problems. And the overt problem here is that they're hungry, but there's a deeper spiritual reality. And there's something deeper that Jesus wants to show his disciples to show us. And that's the second thing he wants them to notice, which he wants them to notice what they actually have in the story. And there'll always be, here's, you know, I'm out of time, I wanna say this. There always will be reasons in your life and my life to not join God in what he wants you to do. If our reality is that God's always at work around us and he wants us to join us in that work, there will always be reasons to not do so. And the truth is that a lot of those reasons from an earthly perspective, from the, the, the low-level story perspective, if you will, not the deeper story of the kingdom, make logical sense. Let's just look at this, the text here. It's getting late in the day, true, true. We don't have enough money. We'd have to work for months to feed these people. True. All of these people are hungry. 15 to 25,000 of them. A town of people. And there's 12 of us. These people are going to turn on us. And they're hungry. It's going to get ugly. You need to send them away. Logical reasons that make sense from an earthly, first-level story perspective. And there will be many reasons in your life to not do what God's asking you to do. And I'm just gonna give you an insight. For the people around you that don't have a kingdom perspective and a Jesus perspective of what the deeper thing that God might be wanting to do in your life, they will applaud you all the way. Great decision, very logical, very thoughtful. All the wonderful things here that you've clearly thought all this out, but maybe you haven't actually prayed, what is it that God wants you to do? what is the deeper thing that God's doing here beyond just the practicalities? So Jesus, you know, they say, what do you want us to do? Basically it's time, you know, these people are hungry, it's late. We're in a remote place, all the things. And Jesus says, what do you have? There's a question. What do you actually bring to the story? What do you have? And we find this from a different gospel. Andrew is the one who goes and finds the five pieces of bread and two fish and brings it back to Jesus. And can you imagine saying, hey, here's 25,000 people. I've got five pieces of bread and two fish. What, what, What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus immediately says, I'll take it. That's great. Because, watch this spiritually, it's not about the amount, it's about the sacrifice. It's about the faith. And guys, if you don't take anything else from this message, I hope you'll take this when it comes to experiencing God and his work around you. Money is not the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. It's what makes the kingdom of God move. So Jesus sees faith, small faith, but faith And he does what only he can do. And you have no idea. I have no idea how God will take my small sacrifice and multiply it and use it. But here's the insight and the final one, the thing to notice. It's actually about what God is doing with the disciples and what he's inviting them into. And the same is true for us. That he calls them to notice what is it that I'm inviting you to know more of to experience more of in my will for you in your life. And they would have completely missed it if they would have done just the logical exercise of it's late in the day, we don't have food, we're in a remote place, they would have completely missed it. But it's actually the deeper thing that God wants to do, that Jesus wants to show them. And how do I know this? Because in Mark's interpretation, iteration of this perspective, and in all the other perspectives in the other, gospels other than Mark the reaction of the disciples is not seen I'm sorry of the crowd the people the 25,000 people that that were the recipients of the miracle we do not see their reaction other than they were satisfied the reaction the focus that we do see is on the disciples it was about what God wanted to invite them into The the miracle, even though 25,000 people were fed, it was really for the 12. Why? When God takes the bread, when Jesus takes the bread, he gives it to who? The disciples. And they feed the people. Then he takes the fish and multiplies it and gives it to the disciples. And they give it to the people. And how many baskets were left over of the bread and the fish? And how many disciples were there there? Yeah, do you think that's an accident? No, because Jesus wanted each of them to carry a basket and to fill the weight of the leftovers and to know what he could do with a very little thing. Now, final point here, okay? Because as you think about application and we think about practicing the way of Jesus, how do we actually take the realities of God and how he wants us to experience them and put them into practice, how, how do we actually live this out in our circumstances, in our story that we're living right now? And, and one of the things that I want to share from this last point of God inviting you into something, a bigger story in your life to participate, just like he did the disciples, is that obedience or following God, to put it that way, always precedes understanding. And what I mean by that from a spiritual principle in the scriptures is that so many times the characters, just like us in the story of God and how God wanted to make himself known and for them to experience him, they had no idea what was going on. It wasn't until well after the fact and sometimes well, well after the fact, and for many of them, until they got to heaven, that they actually saw what Jesus wanted to do and saw the perspective. And specifically in this story, there's something interesting that Mark includes and it's why I chose Mark's perspective on this. Jesus tells them, before he does the miracle, before he multiplies the five loaves and two fish, to tell 25,000 people to go sit down. There's 12 of them. You can do the math. Go sit down and don't just sit down. Can you imagine 12 of us trying to go up to the basketball arena with a full arena and take control of that crowd and actually get them to sit in groups of 50 and 100, can you imagine how long that took to organize? And I'm sure the whole time they're thinking, he has lost it. Like, this, this is nuts. And guess what? Daylight is burning. And we're going to be stuck out here with a bunch of hungry, angry people. And it's going to be our responsibility because we told them to sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And it wasn't until they were collecting those baskets and bringing it back to Jesus that they probably realized this is why. We had to get organized for Jesus to do the miracle and the work that he wanted to do. But it was their obedience to do what God asked them to do, even when it didn't make sense, that, that gave way for God to do the greater work that he wanted to do. To show them more of himself and, his, and experience more of his power and his presence in their lives. And and friends, It's the same for us. Obedience precedes understanding, meaning that God's gonna ask you, I don't know what your situation is, but you're always gonna be coming to places in your life where God's gonna ask you to take a step that doesn't fully make sense, but you've got to trust him And as you take that step, as you take that step, God's gonna make more of himself known to you. As you take another step, you learn more, you see more, you understand more. You may not fully even understand it all, but God begins you to to, to more fully show himself to you and what he wants to do as you take steps of obedience. So I don't know what that looks like for you, whether it's noticing the need around you or noticing more of what you have, your giftedness and the things that you bring to the story. Or just noticing how God is inviting you into his work around you. But I know this, that God's always at work around you. Spiritual reality number one, bottom line, he's always at work. And because that's true, he's always inviting you to join him in that work. And that's what it means to be about and to live and to do God's work. Will, to know that He's always at work around you and that He's inviting you to join Him in that work. Dallas Willard used to say this go do the next right thing. Meaning, what is it that God's asking you to do right now? What is the step? You could think about a thousand steps ahead and just get so anxious and not do anything. What is the one thing that God's asking you to do? That is His will for your life. Go and do the next right thing that God's asking you to do. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you, for, thank you for this wonderful story that's not just a story on pieces of paper called the scriptures. It's a real life historical event that thousands upon thousands of people experienced and recorded their perspective of the story for us to read about and to understand how you work. And I wanna pray for each of my friends here today. God, that you, more than anything else that I've said, that you would speak to them through your word, that you would make yourself known to them, all around them, and that they would notice how you're working and take whatever the next step is to join you in that work. And I pray in all of this that you would receive more of the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.